Hello and welcome to another story. A new series of stories and conversations brought to you in friendship by the Scottish International Storytelling Festival. I'm your host, Daniel Abercrombie, and across the next six episodes, we'll be chatting with some wonderful storytellers, hearing their tales and exploring different areas of storytelling in Scotland and beyond. So settle down or speed on up to join us for another story. In our previous four episodes, we've explored different themes and areas within storytelling, speaking to a variety of different tellers. We thought it'd be nice to explore its reach a bit further with two storytellers, Ailey Finlay and Claire McNichol, who've centred their work around community storytelling, especially with intergenerational and additional support groups. Ailey Finlay has specialised in working as a storyteller and writer with and for people with additional needs for many years, She tells her own unique sensory story adaptations of traditional tales from Scotland and around the world, often using delightful handmade puppets and intriguing props to bring her stories to life. Her story sessions always include lots of rhyme, rhythm and games and the encouragement to join in. She also loves to train people in the art of creating and telling sensory stories and in 2020 founded My Kind of Book, a not-for-profit social enterprise that researches, promotes and creates books and stories for children with additional needs. Ailey's developing a new piece for the Scottish International Storytelling Festival 2023 entitled The Town Mouse and the Country Mouse, alongside artist Kate Leeper. Claire McNichol is a storyteller based in Edinburgh, but originally from County Antrim in the north of Ireland. She loves singing and telling stories from an early age whilst living in Scotland, has acquired the tales, melodies and dances of the Sister Kingdom. Her work in community storytelling with children and young people has established her as a pioneer in the renaissance of urban storytelling. Claire will also feature in this year's festival with a children's storytelling event and as part of our regular Good Crack storytelling session. Hi, Claire and Ailey. Hope you're both well today. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's begin by talking a bit about some of the projects you're working on at the moment, if that's okay. Um, We could start by finding out how you both use storytelling in your work to reach out to different communities. Um, Ailey, I know you're bringing a series of inclusive workshops to the Storytelling Festival this year, specifically designed to include children with complex additional needs. Would you mind kind of sharing where you are with that? Uh, Yeah, so um, I work youth storytelling with children and adults with complex additional needs. So um, by complex needs, I mean um, somebody that has two or more needs. So, for example, uh, sensory impairment and uh, learning disability. So a lot of the people I work with have limited language and quite a few of them have no language or signing at all. So I'm really using oral storytelling as a tool for engagement for a tool as a tool to to reach out to people so i think uh the aspects of of storytelling that work are things like the heightened language uh, the exaggerated language the rhyme um the river rhythm the repetition 
uh, all these kinds of things make storytelling a really good tool for helping people with these kinds of of needs to to access the pleasure of stories great and um the, the project you're developing with artist kate leeper the, the town mouse and the country mouse how's that come about it's an interesting relationship you've got working with kate there yeah so uh we're really delighted to get uh, a commission to do this for the festival um so kate and i have been working together for quite a wee while now uh combining inclusive storytelling and inclusive art activities so for a lot of the children we were working with it probably wouldn't be the sense the intellectual meaning of the story that would be the most important thing it would be other aspects of the story that would be important for them that they would be enjoying so we realized that if we were linking the art activity and the storytelling activity by the theme of the story by the kind of content of the story uh, for a lot of children that wouldn't really have much significance or meaning so to take the town mouse and the country mouse if you're telling a story about mice and then you ask the children for example to make a picture of a mouse for most children that would make sense but for the children we were working with they might not really make much of a connection between the two activities so what we were wanting to do was to make some kind of sensory connection between the art activities and the story so in the story we'll be using sensory props and sensory stimuli and what we're hoping to do is to then carry those sensory stimuli over into the art activity so some of the rhythms uh, some of the sensations will be present in the story and in the art activity so then for the children with complex needs they should then have more of an experience of of the whole thing being one rather than two disjointed activities yeah 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 it's great um we're really looking forward to seeing uh, what you and kate produce and i know you know, having seen kind of your work before in this area, I'm sure it'll be great. And, you know, it's, it's really thought through and, and you know, you've given it a whole load of not just thought and expertise, but research there as well, which is which is great. And Claire, your work, a lot of intergenerational work you do. Would you like to share kind of some of your, your experiences on how far storytelling can reach and your work in different communities? Yes, so uh, I've been really fortunate, um, actually courtesy of Ailey, to be doing regular work with the Festival Theatre. And I'm quite proud of myself because it's storytelling with under fives, largest what I've been doing. And I'm quite proud of myself because I've managed really not to repeat a story. I think that's quite impressive. That really then, they did, they've just really loved what I've done. And it began really not, not that long after the pandemic. And so initially there was a lot of families coming in with children under five and clearly they'd been really very badly affected by you know the social isolation of the pandemic not being able to see other children or families la 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 like one woman came and she came with her friend and they had sort of seen each other through in the sense that they would have met outside and walked because that was allowed with their with their sort of four children under five but there was kind of like in the sort of spaces in between it was really clear to me how hard it had been to be a parent of an under five. And so then it was clear to me that what we were doing was really restorative and was repairing things. It's just been so beautifully put together. You know, I just really think that, you know, taking the time to create a beautiful space, to welcome people, 
like they provide the most beautiful little snack. It's really, really like so reasonably priced, so accessible. And then I do the whole bit about really consciously building relationships. And I name every child and every parent in the room. I sing hello song. Do you want a wee gist of it? <laughs> I always get time for a song. So actually this, I should credit this because, I mean, many moons ago, I worked with a fantastic woman called Dee Isaacs, who is a beautiful cello player and community musician. She's really a fantastic woman. And she and I worked at that stage in Prestonfield Primary School. As part of that project, she made this little song. And I've been using it for the last 20 plus years, 30 years nearly. So it's like, it goes at this. Um, so we'll just do it with us, the three of us. So so we'll do, hello, Dan, hello to everyone. And then everyone joins in and claps together. Boom, boom, boom. Hello, Ailey. Hello to everyone. Boom, boom, boom. Hello, Claire. Hello to everyone. Boom, 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 boom. So it takes quite a while with 20 people. But honestly, in my experience, that is so worth doing. It seems so simple, but what emerges from that is so deep. And it's because everyone's name has been heard in the room. And then I amaze myself most days because I can, now sometimes I write them down, but I am actually pretty brilliant at recalling names. So then I'll use the names and it just makes it really, really intimate. And I've thought a lot about this, you know, that is all happening before I do any song or story. And that makes all the difference in the world to the quality of it. Yeah. It comes up again, this, um, thing about the storytelling experience and it's about the space you create the welcome you offer then we can enjoy the the stories or the music together that's i always feel that's that's the subtle difference there and this is you've been working with the festival theater in edinburgh is it with them as well you've been doing some of the intergenerational work yeah so this is what i think is really fantastic this is when things are really good is when things happen organically and i think that connects with things then becoming sustainable and remaining sustainable so organically, then they came up with the idea of the intergenerational work and they have really, really well established work around dementia. And Ailey, I know, was involved with that. They've got fantastic relationships around dementia. They really know what they're doing. And they thought, well, let's let's look into the intergenerational. So they did a little one off with Hope Cottage, which is an extraordinary nursery in Edinburgh. Big shout out to them. But you see, again, this is what I find so brilliant is when, so there's the organic thing. I feel like we are part of an ecosystem of storytellers. So for example, you know, I had visited Hope Cottage as part of the Story Ripple scheme in October last year. And so when they said, oh, we're going to bring up children from Hope Cottage to the Festival Theatre for the intergenerational work, I said, I know that nursery. It's like one of the best nurseries I've ever been in. And they described a particular little girl with curly hair. And I said, I know her, I remember her. So right enough, she came up and she's just fantastic kid, you know. And so she was just a brilliant collaborator with me. So essentially what happened was there was eight children, two staff. We sat them in a circle in the middle. And then around the edge, we had a big semicircle of the adults. And again, all the care, all the attention to detail. When the adults came, they all got a cup of tea. I did a lot of chat, a lot of connecting, a lot of gathering names. So again, before we actually started, everyone was really comfortable and we did the same hello song. There was a really lovely little activity that we did 
that the, the theatre staff had conceived of. And that was the children had all um, done a little postcard about like either a holiday they'd been on or a holiday they were going to go on. Uh, because this is like before the summer. So we basically, I brought the children round, you know, one by one and sort of, or two by two, and sort of gestured to them of, you know, which adult to give out their card to. And it was really lovely. And then at the end of the session, we had postcards for the adults to then write back. And it just worked like a dream. So the other really th- thing that was just really moving actually was um, I was so lucky, you know, that I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and my teens. And she taught me family stories that even now, decades later, I'm 54. I mean, decades later, after I heard them, my grandmother's been dead many, many decades. These stories still play out for me and they mean different things to me as the time passes by. So for me, there's this thing I've been thinking such a lot about. There's like the horizontal work we do in the present. I'm thinking a lot about at the moment is this thing about storytelling through time. And so with this woman, Margaret, I told her about my grandmother and she said, yeah, she said, I had this great aunt. And she said she used to take me to the cemetery and she used to talk away to the gravestone to her husband who died. And she said, I thought it was really strange when I was a little girl. But she said, I'm going to go and see my husband after this. This week, I'll go up to see him and I'll tell him about this session. Thanks, Claire. You know, it's it's nice to hear a bit about how storytelling can be used in different ways to reach people and these examples of encouraging engagement in a session. I think that's always, you know, this two-way relationship with storytelling. I don't know, is there anything else you want to add there about like how storytelling engage with with audiences, anything like that? So good storytellers are generally good listeners. I mean, I think any storyteller, no matter uh, whether you're telling in a in a theatre to a huge audience or one-to-one, at bedtime with your child, any good storyteller will be a good listener because that's really what makes storytelling different from other art forms, from theatre, for example. The fact that you you can listen to your audience and then respond, whether it's to something that somebody actually is saying verbally or just to an ex- change in expression or body language. So minute by minute, a good storyteller is either consciously or unconsciously changing what they're doing in response to the audience in front of them. Uh, When you're with people with additional needs, that is particularly important, partly because generally, I mean, you can't really generalise, but generally when people have additional needs, their responses are maybe slightly less predictable than with a more what you might call mainstream audience. So it's, it's important to, you know, really listen to to the people that are in front of you and respond to that so that you can do a good job. But also because um, you're working with people who struggle to communicate for various reasons, listening to any little bit of communication is really important and acknowledging any little bit of communication, whether it's verbal or whether it's just something, you know, really quite subtle, like a change in how somebody's breathing or a change in how they're looking at you. Yeah, that's really almost the main point of what we're doing acknowledging that and then also celebrating it including it in what you're doing yeah it sounds like a a heightened experience for the storyteller as well in in those moments you know great so this is a storytelling podcast why don't we have a story maybe something you know an example the kind of story you might share in one of these sessions claire would you like to go first is something you'd like to share with us yeah just a wee sort of introduction to it you know was sort of illustrates the 
the bit about how, you know, we I do believe that we are sitting in an ecosystem of storytellers. And I feel what we do is, I was thinking about it, the best way I think we can describe it is if we think about like the spider's web of interconnected relationships that we all sit in, I feel we as storytellers light that up. And most of the time we don't know the impact that we're rippling out along the web. But every now and again, we'll find out. And so this is such a lovely example of that. So I did a, a little kind of, um, I think it was a little Easter program. There's a program that dis- called Discover that Edinburgh City Council run in holiday times. And so I'd met this family and we'll call the little boy Leo. And it was really, you know, when when you work with kids a lot and all, you, you sort of get to know, you get to see things. And so I kind of could work out he was probably somewhere on the Asperger's spectrum. So anyway, the story goes like this. There was a little girl called Sally and she was really lucky because her mum was very inventive and Sally was never, ever bored because her mum always came up with fantastic ideas for what she could do with her day. So this one day in the summer holidays, her mum said at the beginning of the day, Sally, I have a special mission for you today. I want you to go and find me a wee red house and it doesn't have any doors and it doesn't have any windows and inside there's a star. Well, Sally was quite excited and she ran outside and luckily enough, her wee pal Jack was running up and down the street and he was kicking around his football and all and she joined in with him and they kicked the football back and forth. And she said, Jack, Jack, I have a special mission today. My mum has sent me to find a wee red house with no doors and no windows and a wee star inside. Where could we look for that, Jack? Oh, I don't know, he says. Well, sure, let's go down into the field. So they looked around the field and then Jack said, let's just go along a wee bit, he says, and we'll go out to the farm. He says, and old MacDonald, the farmer's out there at the road a wee bit and he might know where the wee red house is because he's lots of stuff on his farm. So sure enough, the two of them ran out and they waved to the farmer and he came to the edge of the field and Sally said, Mr. MacDonald, could you help us? You see, we have a special mission today. We have to find a wee red house with nay doors and nay windies and a star inside. Well, old MacDonald, he sort of scratched his beard and he took off his hat and he scratched his head and he shook his head and he says, oh, I'm awful sorry, Sally and Jack, but just not coming to me. I really can't think of anything like that about the farm. But he says, I'll tell you what. See the oldest person in our village. Now that would be Mrs. Brown. And I'm sure she's a hundred if she's a day. So the two of you, away you run back into the village now and she's number 70. He says, just wrap her door. We chap at the door and ask her. So that's what the two of them did. Race back into the village, chapter number 70. And that stand for ages because Mrs. Brown was really very elderly and she didn't move anywhere with speed. So, but they were very patient and sure enough, the door opened and there was we, Mrs. Brown, and she wasn't much taller than them. And she was very sweet and kind and she brought them in and she gave them a nice cold glass of milk and a wee chocolate biscuit. And then they says to her, Mrs. Brown, could you by any chance help us out? Because you see, we're on a special mission. We're looking for it. And this is the stage that I would invite all the way along. By the way, I'm inviting at participation. So I would be saying to them, can you help me with this? And we would all together chant, a wee red house 
with no doors and no windows and a star inside. Well, Mrs. Brown had a rocking chair that she liked to sit on when she was thinking. So she sat on her rocking chair and she rocked forwards and backwards, backwards and forwards for ages. And she had her eyes closed. So actually Sally and Jack were sure she'd gone to sleep, but they were patient. And all of a sudden she opened her wee eyes and were like bright as little birds. And she looked really young, actually. And she said, I know the answer. I know the answer. She said, well, I kind of know the answer. I know who you need to ask. She said, you need to ask the wind because sure, the wind's been all the way around the world and the wind has seen everything. So out they raced and they cupped their hands around their mouth and the two of them cried out, wind, wind. We're looking for a wee red house with no doors and no windows and a star inside. Well, the wind came and it pulled Sally and Jack up to the top of the hill. And on the hill, there was a tree covered over in shining red apples. And the wind blew the branches off the tree until one of the shining red apples fell straight into Sally's hand and she caught it. And her and Jack raced down the hill as fast as their legs would carry them and they burst into the house where Sally's mummy was just getting the dinner ready. And Sally's mummy was chopping away at the vegetables. And Sally says to her, Mum, look, I've got the wee red house and it doesn't have any doors and it doesn't have any windows, but Mummy, is there a star inside? Well, her mum says there's only one way to find out, Sally. And she took the apple and she turned it on its side and she sliced it open with a sharp vegetable knife. And when she opened it, what was inside? But a star. Well, Sally and Jack were delighted with themselves. And Sally ate one half and Jack ate the other half. So the sort of final part of the story is that was that, as I thought. But months went by. <laughs> And I think it was uh, sort of six months later, I went into a primary one class and I sat down and chatting away to the children. And there was a little boy sitting on the sofa at the back of the class with, you know, a sort of learning assistant. And he looked at me and said, I know you. <laughs> and, and he's quite an unusual name. I'm not using his actual name, but we'll say it's Leo. I said, because he'd really made an impression on me. And six months later, I could still remember his name. Said, Leo, how nice to see you. And then, then it was the next part yet because he got picked up early. And so I was leaving at the stage he was leaving and in the hallway was his mum. And she recognised me as well. She, had, she said, oh my goodness, she said, that story was fantastic because, you know, a lot of children on the spectrum, like don't always eat a lot of like variety of food can be food and eating can be a bit of an issue. She said he would never eat apples. And now we just cut all the apples up into star apples and he loves apples. <laughs> so it was just such a lovely example. And I just think those things happen far more than we're probably aware of, you know. Oh, it's a lovely example. Thanks, Claire. And Elia, is there anything else, um, any other tools you use within your storytelling to, to help engage with people? Yes, yeah, so I use props to... Um... To help people understand the story, obviously. So, you know, if I was telling the apple story, if you've got the apple, people can immediately understand what you're meaning. 
And then also as an invitation to engage with a story. So an apple, you know, it's it's got a nice feel to it, it might have a bit of a smell to it. Props are really important in the storytelling I do. And then repetition. I think uh, just as in Claire's story there, the the repetition in the story and of the story, actually, with a lot of the people I work with, actually repeating uh, the story is really important. So very often it's only after maybe the fourth, fifth or sixth telling of a story that people will begin to show pleasure and enjoyment. Um, so you realise actually if you'd stopped after the first time, you might think, or oh, this isn't working, or even after the second or third time, but because because you persevere and and uh, repeat the story, then you do often get to the point where the children are able to start enjoying what's happening. I could tell a wee story. Yeah, that be that sounds perfect, Ailey. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so this is a, a wee story. So it's actually it was uh, originally just a wee snippet of folklore that I came across, and um, I'd been asked to write a story for for a particular lady in a service run by Sense Scotland. So there was some particular, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that at the end of the story. I'll just tell the story first. I think this came to mind because I was camping at the weekend and there was an extremely noisy cow in the next field. So <laughs> I think this is why this story came to my mind today. There was an old lady and uh, she lived in a wee croft up in the hills and she had a cow and she loved her cow. Every evening, she would go out to the buyer and she would say to the cow, little cow, lovely cow, cow of mine. And every morning, she would open her front door and she would call out to the buyer, tea or coffee, tea or coffee. And she would take a big cup of tea or coffee out to the cow. But times were hard for that old woman and there came a day when she had to sell her cow. And so she took the cow down to the foot of the glen and she sold her little cow to the rich farmer and she walked home crying all the way. The little cow in her new field in the middle of the night, looked up as the stars were shining bright. And that little cow set off at a trot and ran all the way back up the hill. And the first thing that the old lady heard in the morning when she got up was, a little cow, she said, little cow, you have to go back where you belong. And she took the little cow back down to the foot of the glen to the rich farmer. That night, little cow looked up and the stars were shining bright. And little cow set off at a trot up the hill. And the first thing the old lady heard in the morning was, little cow. Little cow, said the old woman, you have to go back where you belong. And she took the cow back down the hill to the foot of the glen and gave her back to the rich farmer. In the middle of the night, little cow looks up. Little cow sets off at a trot. Now, all the other cows in that field, all the big cows in the field, 
they all wondered, where is little cow going every night? Where is little cow going every night? And so all the cows set off at a trot and they all ran up the hill. And the first thing that the old woman heard when she got up in the morning was moo, 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 moo. What have you done, little cow? What have you done, little cow? She said, and the rich farmer who came stomping up the hill. He was furious. You can keep your cow, he said, and keep your money. It's nothing to me. And he took the cow, his own cows, back down the hill. And he left little cow with the old woman. And the old woman, she said, little cow, lovely cow, cow of mine. This is where you belong. And then she said, tea or coffee? And they both lived happily ever after. Oh, little cow. Haley, that's lovely. They wanted me to include one or two phrases in that. So the, the lady I was mm -hmm. making the story for, she um she didn't have much language, but there were one or two phrases that she used that they wanted me to include in that. But the interesting thing was that Although she had really very, very limited language, she was very interested in rhythm, this this lady, and uh, you could actually have a conversation with her. So she would tap her foot and she would wait for your response and you could have a kind of tapping conversation. So often when I was telling stories, if there was a part of the story that had a kind of rhythmic bit with clapping or stomping, she would join in. Interestingly, she wouldn't just follow what you were doing. She would very often kind of uh, take over that part of the story and you would end up following her and it would become this kind of game between you, uh, which she always won. So with this story, uh, when it comes to the cow trotting up the hill, there's lots of stomping and clapping, which she would then join in with and often take over that part of the story. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Ailey. It's a great example of a Lovely sensory story there. I just wonder like if there's storytellers or artists or writers out there who might be interested in doing more work in this area. Kind of what future plans do you have for developing this as a an area of storytelling? Because you know, we've heard today there's so much possibility with this. You know, is is there anything you're working on longer term that you'd like to share? Uh, yes. Yeah, so what we're really hoping to do next year is to have a little festival of sensory storytelling. So um what we're wanting to do really is because we know that there's lots of creative work happening often in quite a localized way so in maybe in a care setting or in a school there are lots of people creating sensory stories so what we really want to do is 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 to kind of put get all these people together and really celebrate this creativity that's happening because this is storytelling that um to a large extent is quite invisible even within the storytelling community and we also feel that by bringing it out into the open as it were we would find uh, lots of other people who storytellers or people from other disciplines who would be really interested in in doing this kind of work because not only is it you know obviously incredibly valuable but it's also a lot of fun you know figuring out how to create a story uh, that works is is um, really often a very interesting conundrum that really um, could appeal to a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. 
great. Well, we'll certainly put some information in the episode notes if people are interested in getting in touch. And I'm sure there's there's plenty of people out there that would be. Well, you know, it's been great today to hear about the different reach storytelling can have and the different ways you both use storytelling in your work. Um, but we're we're asking all our guests in this short series to to share a short reflection on their favourite or most memorable storytelling experience. And Claire, does something jump to mind you'd like to share with us? Yes. Um, in fact, this was, again, work for Sense Scotland that Ailey sent my way. And I don't ordinarily say the name of the person, but I feel like this could be anywhere in Scotland. And it just so happens that this woman had my name. So I was working with a Claire, which is just really nice. I went along the first time to this place and um, it was a nice day. And so we were able to work outside. And this um, young woman, I say she's maybe in her 30s, she was in a wheelchair. So that was fine. And I did a little rhyme that I'll do for you now. So it goes like this. So you've got to imagine, you know, you've got your arm and then you creep your fingers up your arm. So it's um, slowly, slowly, very, very slowly creeps the garden snail slowly slowly very very slowly up the garden rail quickly 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 runs a little mouse quickly 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 up into his house so um, I did that on Claire's arm and she loved it. And we did it several times. So then a week went by and back I went. And this time we were inside and in she came, which was brought in in a wheelchair. And as she came into the room, she had her arm in the air. And I was there for like six weeks. And every single week she came in the room and her arm was lifted up in the air. And I just, wow, I just was, I still think about it and smile. And it's kind of my first real experience of working in the kind of domain that Ailey's really you know so familiar with and I just I find it really touching you know and yeah so I would think that's actually definitely one of my most favorite experiences memorable you know lovely memory yeah yeah and Ailey is there something that jumps to mind yeah so as Claire was saying it's that it's those little moments of uh yeah, because I guess it, sometimes you're not completely certain what, what people are absorbing or, or understanding or enjoying because it's not quite so clear as it would be, you know, if you were with a, with a I'll call it a more mainstream audience. So, um, yeah, those those little moments where you can see that somebody's really absorbed something and, and, and held it in their head for a whole week and then is able to predict what you're going to do are, are just lovely. Yeah, so little moments. I guess there was one recently when I went into a special school, and you know, quite often when I go in, some a teacher will say to me, "Oh, um, you know, such and such a body won't won't pay any attention, but don't worry about that." And there was a wee lad. He was um, so that it was a class of of young children, and they were I think all on the autism spectrum. And this wee lad, he. Um, he was in a room, a kind of quiet space room off to the side of, of the of the class. And they were saying, you know, don't worry, he'll just stay in that room. He, he won't come through for the storytelling. But uh, I could just see as I was telling the story, I could just see at my peripheral vision that he was just kind of inching his way a little bit closer and a little bit closer as the story was going on. And then um, eventually came 
to the very edge of of the kind of story circle and he had a some kind of a cuddly toy and he just sort of threw it into the into the middle of the circle so we took that and we put that toy into the story he didn't come any closer um so you know sometimes our moments of success they're not necessarily Hollywood moments if it was a Hollywood moment he would have you know come right into the circle and sat down and joined in and I can't say that's what he did he stayed on the edge but he did stay and um and he joined in in his own way so yeah I think it's also important to sometimes to recalibrate what we count as a as a success and that was a success for me I think that's that's a a lovely um thought to wrap this up you know that's not about the Hollywood moment it's really not in storytelling. It's it's about small moments or a bit of a journey that you go on rather than that big punchline at the end all the time. Claire, yeah. I feel as if this links everything together really nicely. So obviously I was speaking about the intergenerational work and, you know, it was really a dream come true for me to be able to do that. And luckily now it's going to happen monthly for the next number of months. And The reason I really wanted to do the work was because I had a brilliant mentor who you both knew well called Audrey Parks and Audrey sadly died in the pandemic. And um, I mean, she was in her early 90s, you know, she lived a long life and everything. But, you know, she she didn't see her family for the last five months of her life, you know, because she was in a residential um, sort of home, you know, so it was quite painful, really. And I find it a bit difficult to think about that. But I met somebody yesterday, Vivian French, who Audrey loved, and um, I met Vivian at the uh, book festival and sent to Vivian what I'd said to you. And I said, but Vivian, the thing is, I still carry her mantle because she taught me everything that I know. And um, so, yeah, so basically that's why I'm so happy to be doing this work. And that session I told you about, you can't make this up. Again, I don't usually use names, but I've just got in the situation. There was an Audrey at the session and there was evaluation done on postcards. And I read this evaluation at the end of it and it said it made Audrey happy. I was like, oh, my God. So anyway, there's a wee rhyme that Audrey taught me. And it kind of also kind of reflects what we've been speaking about in terms of that web of connection. So it goes at this and it's got action. So you, if you're obviously you're going to have to imagine it's not rocket science, you'll work it out. So wriggle your fingers for the leaves of the tree. So. Millions of different leaves on the trees, and then roll your hands for the sea. Thousands of different waves in the sea, and make as if you're making a giraffe with your arm. Different animals, different birds, different voices circle your your mouth, different words. Imagine like your fingers making the words. Point yourself, I'm not like you. Point to the other person, you're not like me. And then circle your hands, but we all belong to the same family. Audrey made that up. What did she? Oh, wow. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Really nice, Claire. Thank you. Perfect way to finish. And just like to thank Ailey and Claire. Um, It's been great to chat with you and uh, hopefully see you both soon. Thank you for joining us today. Well, that was a really fun chat. Ailey and Claire have a real passion for using storytelling to connect with people. If you're interested in developing your storytelling or another art form to work in a sensory manner similar to Alien Claire's, please do contact them directly via the link in our episode notes. So again, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please tell your friends, like and subscribe, and maybe even write us a wee story review of your own. It can really help others to find these stories. 
Next week, we have a special treat for you all, with a live recording of one of our festival sessions, where you will be able to hear the magic of live storytelling in front of a live audience. But that's another story for now. This episode of Another Story was co-produced by Daniel Abercrombie, Anne-Marie Frumke and Helena Rafai. Edited by Helena Rafai and curated by the Scottish International Storytelling Festival, based at the Scottish Storytelling Centre in Edinburgh. You can find out more about the festival, which runs each October, at sisf.org.uk. The music featured in this episode was the track Bouncing by Mary Campbell and David Gray. <laughs>